Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. When we take control of our lives and our destiny. We're a small country, but we punch way above our weight. Like, I'm filming now at this stage, to be honest with you. I thought it was one of the hardest things to do. It was horrendous. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, busy one ahead for us this morning. Catching up with the Life Centre, they had some very good news about their funding. Remember, we've been covering that during the summertime, how they got money, and then they discovered there were T's and C's with that money, T's and C's they didn't like, and Don and the staff said, hang on a second now, this is not the way we want to do it. Well, there's been a development in the last 24, 48 hours. They're not quite sorted yet, but they're a lot closer to sorted than they were. I'll catch up with Don in the next while. Also, later this morning, I'm going to be talking to the young Irishman who absolutely tore it apart at the X Factor in Romania when he did this. Yeah, Stefan Doyle's on the show a little bit later on this morning. But like I said, plenty to do. We love your texts and your WhatsApps and particularly your voice messages. And if you're in the East Cork area, Middleton in particular, we want to hear from you. We're going to spend some time in the first maybe 15 minutes or 20 minutes of the show this morning looking at the Onakura Centre story, which I'd remind you broke here on the opinion line in midsummer when we were approached by Maureen a relative of a man who's been living there for 10 years and indeed by local Green Party councillor Liam Quaid who brought it to our attention that the HSE had decided to close the Onakura Centre in Middleton because they say it's no longer fit for purpose. And this is something that I don't think anybody denies at this point, that the centre is not fit for purpose. But there are 19 people living there. It is their home. We learned that some of them have been there for 10 years, 5 years. One woman is there for nearly 25 years. So we've been covering this story on the programme over the last couple of months. Now it came up yesterday at a meeting of the Oireachtas Committee on Mental Health and went through various elements of the story. 
and various, you know, arguments about the closure and what should happen to the services and where the people should go and all of that. The HSE was represented at that hearing yesterday by Michael Fitzgerald, who is Chief Officer of Cork Kerry Community Healthcare. And this is what Mr Fitzgerald had to say. Unfortunately, as we move to the advanced planning phase for the centre, serious concerns emerged that any level of refurbishment could not bring the building to the standards required. Advice from construction experts has led the HSE to take the difficult but necessary decision to close the centre. We've reviewed all options for the centre and every option involves a complete demolition of the existing building rather than a phased refurbishment. While we were aware of the pressing need to bring the building to the standard which residents deserve, it was only when the fabric of the building was assessed for this work that we established that the only way to refurbish the building was actually to knock it. This was not our original plan for the valuable service at the Onacora Centre, and while it was a difficult decision, there was no other option open to us. The immediate priority is the welfare of the 19 residents of the centre. We are working with each resident and their families individually to agree an appropriate alternative placement based on their assessed needs. Residents will move on a phased basis after detailed consultation and discussion. They will transfer to the most appropriate setting that will meet their needs and with their expressed preference to the forefront of any such decision. Assessments with residents have been completed and consultation with families is underway at present. All of the assessments have been completed at this stage. The multidisciplinary team within the Onacora Centre continues to have ongoing discussions with all residents offer ongoing support and assurances. Take that last bit of what uh, Michael Fitzgerald said at that Eroctus committee meeting yesterday. That doesn't exactly gel with what I was told during my visit last week to Onokura, uh, where I met a number of residents and relatives. Uh, Mr Fitzgerald is saying that the HSE's process of consultation, well, if, if we were listening to him correctly, at an advanced stage and, and close to finished, in fact, in terms of assessments. That doesn't gel with what I was told during my visit last week, which, bear in mind, just a week ago yesterday, I went to see the residents and the families. Unfortunately, as we move... You know, there's been a continuous answer from the management of the HSE that they are communicating with residents and relatives, and that has not been the case at all. Some of the lads here are saying they've only been talking to people in the last week or two. Yeah, we all got um, a phone call last Friday to set up meetings for this week. So I've had the meeting in which I was told, well, we have no further information. What do you like about being here? Um, it's very central. Um, um, there's, there's, there's everything within reach. And um, as well as that, um, the, the, the staff are great. And you have no idea where you might have to go when it closes, do you? They haven't told us anything about that, and the staff say the same. The doctor over there, we have dentist over there, opticians, hearing aid, hairdressers, chiropodists. Everything you need. Yeah. And to me, the location of this place is like a medicine. It's, it contributes to me getting better. And that's me speaking to, that's Vincent and Mick before him and Maureen, the resident who brought the whole thing to our attention back in the summertime. Uh, that's just a week ago, talking to them. Now, yesterday at the meeting of the Oireachtas Committee, local TDs Pat Buckley of Sinn Féin and Sean Sherlock of Labour both spoke to address the HSE's position or indeed to respond to the HSE's position. 
he don't know the importance of a community-led centre, a community-integrated centre, where there's a lot of locals from the area, from the town of Middleton, where I'm from, but also it covers a massive hinterland. And you're going to move them out of, no matter what you call a suitable place, it cannot be suitable if the areas that they've mentioned are not accessible by public transport. Okay, some are out in the country, others are locked out for 12 hours a day. That's not integration of people. What we need to do here is come up with a plan B, because you don't have a plan at the moment, a plan A even for the centre. You don't have a plan for the site. You don't have a plan for the daycare services. You don't have a plan for all these patients yet. And yet, when we ask all these questions, we don't have a plan to answer them because you don't have answers for it. I'll tell you how serious it is. We were at a public meeting last night and it was full and there's anger there. And I'm telling you, I'm asking you, you better reverse this and come up with an alternative project because this is not going away in East Cork. I mean, it's unconscionable that the HSE should come to this committee without anticipating a question from one or all of the members as to how much would it cost to do the repairs and refurbishment and two, what would the cost of a replacement building on that site be? Because you have significant capital resources to do so. I'm asking, please, that the HSE please put some pause on this and, and, and reflect. Because four months, I mean, you, you wouldn't, you'd give a dog if you were kicking him out of a kennel, God forgive me for saying it, more notice than you've given some of these people to be out of their home. And, and, and I'm sorry if I'm sounding exercised about it, but I feel that strongly about it. I think there needs to be a pause put on this in the, inter in the public interest and so that we as public representatives have more time to interrogate line by line everything that you're doing here so that we can fully and with good conscience represent our constituents. There's a very strong sense coming from both deputies, Sherlock, who you heard there, and Buckley before him, that the time has come now to pause this and to try to at least defer the closure of Onakura until we get a better plan, until they get a better plan for the residents and their families. That's a very definite sense coming out of that meeting yesterday. Now, we have asked some more questions of the HSE this morning including sending them a recording of Green Party TD Nessa Harrigan, to whom have also been speaking. And we'll see what they can com come up with before the end of the programme. But I did speak to, like you might say, and people will say, well, Pat Buckley of Sinn Féin and Sean Sherlock of Labour are opposition party TDs. That's what they're going to do. They're going to represent an opposition voice. Before you do that, Green Party TD Nessa Harrigan is a government TD. She also addressed the meeting yesterday. She's read all the various reports on the state of the building. And we had quite a long conversation afterwards. I'll let you hear that next. 1850 715996. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. The best football league in the world is right here. Firmino with the flick. Salah! Fernandez, he's going to go for goal. Oh, what a goal. The Premier League Live, powered by Top Sport. Join me, Trevor Welch, exclusively online at 96fm.ie. Tune in Saturdays as we ramp up the excitement for the day's biggest games. We'll bring you pre-match analysis, live commentary and in-depth interviews with some legends of the sport. 
The Premier League Live. With Now, your sport on your terms. Stream only the games that matter to you most with Now. Listen every Saturday exclusively online at 96fm.ie or download the Cork's 96fm app. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. Deputy Harrigan, what you bring to the table is that you are also an architect and, and, and you've been looking over with an architect's mind all of the various paperwork with regard to Onakura. Am I right in saying, NASA? it's nowhere near to falling down. There's work needed, a lot of work, but there's nowhere near to falling down. You know, the, the building we heard today, and, and in fairness, the HSC were very clear on this, the building's not condemned. Um, the, the building is not in a state where you'd have to move everybody out in an emergency situation. On the other hand, nobody is suggesting, and certainly I'm not suggesting, that the building isn't in, in a serious need of repair um, and that that isn't something that, you know, those those residents deserve. Like, they deserve to live somewhere safe and warm and comfortable. Um, and there are ongoing issues with fire safety and there's ongoing issues with asbestos. However, having said that, and one of the things that we tried to get at today in, in the meeting is that, you know, over, since 2016, the the premises has been cited as problematic. It's, it's been cited as needing repair, but it's always been categorized as moderate to low risk. So if you were a family and you were reading the annual reports every year, you'd have no idea, you'd have no expectation that the HSE are going to turn around today or in July and say, actually, your loved one needs to move out by, you know, the, the end of October. That wouldn't have been flagged on anybody's radar. And I have to say what we heard today is when we tried to pick apart all of the building reports and all of the timelines and the various, you know, input from estates and the inf- input from the different policymakers and decision makers, we couldn't understand still how we have gotten to this timeline where families and residents are under so much pressure in such a tight time frame to move from a place that they might have lived for a decade, two decades. We heard one resident has been there 25 years. Mm. So did the meeting achieve anything? Well, you know, I think there was some really uh, positive things. First of all, you know, across the board, across the political spectrum, there was unhappiness with this decision. And there was a real recognition of the value of residential care for people with mental health difficulties in the Middleton area. And the the identification of like how huge that will be for the area if we lose it. Because the building is one thing. Losing the building is one thing. And if the building has to go, fair enough. But losing the service is a completely different issue. And I have to say, I, I found it really um, heartening to see all of like the public representatives who, who could come to the committee lining up to say like, this will have a huge impact, not just on the residents' lives, but you know, the community, because those residents contribute to the community and they're part of our community and we don't want them to, 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 to you know, to be lost from our community. And I think that that on the record and for the HSE to have to listen to that is, is really, really useful. Even here locally, representative wise, there is no political divide here. There's a cross political belief that something else needs to be looked at here. That is so valuable. And, you know, you know, 
in the best version of this, political representatives are speaking up, you know, for the people that vote for them and, and the people who don't. And I, I think that this, you know, at, le- at least, if nothing else, that session showed that, that that is possible and everybody can put their own stuff aside and really speak up for the people who need it most. I think for me, um, it was particularly interesting to be able to put all of those questions um, to the HSE around the timeline of the building reports and the timeline of the decision making. I have to be honest and say that when we did that, a lot of our questions weren't answered and there was a lot of, oh, I'll write you an answer for that, Deputy Harrigan. I'll write you a note on the answer to that. I got no answers about how much money has been put into the building since 2016. I got, in a, in a 2020 report, there was a note around, we've done refurbishment costings and we know exactly the capital costs of all this and we're moving ahead with it. And, and I asked, well, what are those capital costs? I got no answers for that. So there was a whole, I could go through you know another mm-hmm. 20 questions that we asked that we didn't get the answers for and they're going to have to come up with those answers and that's a positive Mm. and then I think finally you know from the point of view of the community I think there's a real uh, concern about like where will people go and the reality is is that like as I said nobody's arguing that the building is good or that the building can go on the way it is but I think there's a real concern that we'll be moving people to a worse situation, that they might be going into dormitory living from single stay beds, that they might be going into, you know, nursing home situations that they might not be, um, they might not want to go to. Um, and so I, I think we got to ask those questions. I, I, I again, I wasn't happy with the answers, mm. but it's really useful to be able to like, you know, pull all that information apart and say, well, how many people are we talking about here? Where are you going to put them? Um, and, and uh, you know, in terms of kind of illuminating the reality of what this is going to mean for people's lives, it was a very interesting session from that point of view. Hard for the families to listen to, I would say. Come back to the to the various building reports that you had perused yourself. Is everything consistent here? Is the message consistent through all the reports? No. So, the the, the, the the way we've been doing building inspections kind of has been set up since 2016 or the, the particular version that we're looking at. In 2016, there would have been 14 non-compliant issues with Owen Okura and all of them wouldn't have been the premises. The only one that relates to premises is Regulation 22. Um, but there was an issue in 2016 that was considered non-compliant and it was considered um, that it was non-compliant, but it was moderate. It was moderate non-compliance. And then in 2017, under the same category, we were told that it was compliant and that the quality rating of the premises was satisfactory and that the building inside and out was in good repair and that there was ample personal space. Now, there was some issues that they they cited as, you know, they, they wanted it looked at, but they, they didn't say that it, it was anything other than satisfactory. Back Then we go to 2018, we're back again to being non-compliant, but again, it's moderate non-compliance. We're talking about... Um, you know, the bathrooms and the toilets need work, that there might be a smell here and there, that there's not a good state of repair. It, it, you know, there might be, um, they mentioned things like nails banged into walls that aren't fully in, you know, and that they could, like, there'd be trip hazards, things like that. In 2019, we're back to non-compliance, but the risk rating is low. So we're we're hearing, you know, you, you're constantly seeing in the reports, yes, there are issues with the building, but there's not enough maintenance. There's not enough kind of cleaning and tidying. Things are cluttered. It's not the kind of thing as, as somebody who's worked in the construction industry, it wouldn't necessarily have been ringing alarm bells. And then we get to kind of October 2019 and they do the asbestos survey. 
And I have to say, I take that really seriously. Like I would not like to, uh, to downplay that in any way. Mm. However, the asbestos survey says that, yes, there is asbestos, but it's in, in good condition and it's of low risk. Mm. It is a very problematic material. I wouldn't like to downplay that. However, if you went through all of the institutional buildings in, in Ireland, you'd probably find it in a lot of them. And one of the questions we asked today is, you know, you're going to be, you're, you know, the HSE is going to be looking at re, you know, like putting people into, into other scenarios and other situations and other residential placements. Can you guarantee to us that there won't be a similar issue with asbestos in those places, that they, those buildings won't be of a similar level of disrepair? And they couldn't give that guarantee. And we do know that, you know, some of the proposed places or the places that they wouldn't rule out today. So, for example, St. Stephen's Hospital, which we asked, you know, are you considering putting people in, in into St. Stephen's Hospital? Um, they wouldn't rule that out. And I have to say the, the, the annual inspection report from St. Stephen's Hospital in 2020 was not good. And their premises was considered non-compliant, but not moderate non-compliance, not low non-compliance, high non-compliance. Hmm. So, you know, to, it's, it's one thing to say the building's not great, but are you going to move them to a building that is great, that is best practice? Mm-hmm. That's the real question. When I was down there last week, I found people were getting very anxious because they've been told it's closing. They've been told they'll have to move and they have no idea with just a few short weeks left what's going to happen. Did anything do you think come out of the meeting that might address those worries? I have to say some of your local TDs down there um, really spoke very eloquently around the timeline and the pressure that 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 end of October timeline is putting on people and the kind of fear and the and just the anxiety from families around, you know, their loved ones who, you know, it takes a lot. I think, you know, if you have mental health difficulties, it takes a long time to engage with a service and mm-hmm. be in a, in a situation where you feel you're comfortable and you're doing well. And so to, to move people and to change their care plan and to change what their expectations are in such a tight time frame is a big deal. And I think that one of the things that was explored today um, and we did get some kind of interesting responses from the HSE on it is, you know, is that timeline fixed? And I think the HSE unsurprisingly said that is a fixed timeline. That is what we're looking at. However, they did also say if if we're unable to, to move people in the time frame that we have, we'll have to perhaps reconsider it. And, uh, you know, I, I think that that in itself is positive that, the, you know, that that they will possibly listen to residents and, and listen to their their fears and their concerns and yeah. what they would like. And uh, that that's a positive for me. One, one of the things that people said to me when I was down there was even if we could get it deferred until the new year so that we could take some time to do a proper plan for people. Uh, well, this is it exactly. And, and I think that's what so many people were talking about today. And, and certainly, you know, I was asking questions about that kind of four month window. Why have we gotten to a place where we're at a four month window? People, you know, like if you've been living somewhere for 25 years, like I, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm living in my house 15 years and I'm very attached to it and I'd be very sad to leave it. I can only imagine if somebody is living somewhere for 25 years and, you know, they know their local shop and they, they, they know their local shopkeeper and they know their, you know, their local club or whatever it might be to move people on in that time frame seems, you, you know, so difficult. And I, I, I do question whether that's at the best practice care plan for anybody who's been living in, in a residential unit for, for more than a decade or, or however long it might be. And we did hear today, actually, interestingly, that the last, the, the most recent person to come to Onokura was only placed there in February. Now, 
that that seems extraordinary as well, that you would place somebody in February in a building that um, we, we heard today that they were the, the estates, you know, section of the HSE was doing a review in February around whether they should close this building down. So, you know, there's just so many questions here. I think a deferral would be a good outcome. It would give people time to, you know, to, to, to maybe find better placements and, and maybe to consider like what could be done, what could be done to hold this service in Middleton to keep people's quality of life there and, and you know, the home that they know and, and whether that would be possible. Nessa Horrigan, thank you very much for being with us. Thanks so much. That's Green Party TD, Nessa Horrigan, speaking to me last evening in the wake of that particular meeting yesterday. And you heard other clips from the meeting, including what the HSE had to say. Uh, they represented um, by by their um, community healthcare lead for Cork and Kerry, uh, Mr Michael Fitzgerald, and he said where they stand. Look, that's the latest up for you. Um, certainly there seems to be a buzz coming from the members of the committee yesterday that at very least a deferral should be considered by HSE. We have sent the HSE the audio of the interview with uh, Nasa Harrigan uh, to see how they any response to it. If you'd like to say anything to us about Onokura at this point, uh, pop it into a voice message for us at WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96 FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Let me show you what it's all about. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96 FM. Afternoons in Cork sound better here. I've got the big tunes from all your favourite artists. Hey, it's me, Justin Bieber. Hi, this is Billie Eilish. What's happening, everybody? It's Tom Grennan. I'm always good for a prize. Oh, thank you so much. That's brilliant. Thanks for real. And big name stars on the show for a chat. Joel Curry. Personally, Ireland is my favourite place to play. You guys know it's like a second home to me and I miss it so much. In the afternoon in Cork, in the car, at work, at home, make sure you're with me. Let me show you what it's all about. Send it out. Simon Murdoch. Midday to 4pm on Cork's 96FM. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. Mad scramble for tickets for Ed Sheeran expected Saturday. They go on sale at Ticketmaster Saturday, 8am. If you would like to win them before they go on sale, win your way to see Ed here in Cork, 96FM, on Friday. Friday, you can win them all day before you buy them. Uh, all day this Friday, only on Cork's 96FM. We'll have free tickets to give away for Ed Sheeran across the day this Friday, 24th of September, with thanks to our friends at Aiken Promotions. That's coming up Friday, and we'll have a pair to give away on the opinion line. I really wonder what other purposes that site could be put to, and how the existing building was allowed to be run down the way it was. Even if there are excellent reasons for how we came to be here, I think it would be far better if the clients there had been told this might be a possibility. And then another message that comes in saying, my relative was moved to Onakura after the February inspection and told it was his forever home. I'm disgusted at the cold and callous attitude of the HSE yesterday. 
They came unprepared because this is an organisation that do what they want without caring for the residents. And that is signed D. Very important message that's come into the opinion line this morning. My relative was moved to Onakura after the February inspection and told it was his forever home. Right. 1850-715-996. Something else about which there's been a tremendous level of faffing about in the last couple of weeks is the America's Cup, the, the huge, huge sporting event that could be coming to Ireland in 2024. And at one point we thought it were certain up against Valencia in Spain and uh, Saudi Arabia. We, we thought we were a dead cert to get it. And then the government seemed half afraid of it. And then we heard of it costing $150 million to, to bring it here. And then we thought it was gone. And then we thought it wasn't gone. And... Lord knows what's happening at this stage. We know that uh, Michael McGrath, the Minister for Public Expenditure, Cork TD, is concerned about the cost and concerned about the amount of public money that would have to be put into it. And it's his job to, to mind the public purse. So presumably he's going through that. But it's dragging on a bit without an answer. Uh, Mick Corgan, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ, and thanks for inviting me on. Today. Delighted. You're, you're very into, into involved in this bid, are you? Yes, absolutely. Uh, involved for two reasons. One, I was involved from the start with kind of providing wind and, and wave data uh, and other information to Team New Zealand when they were kind of uh, looking at, at Cork initially. And the second really is because I just have such a vested interest in the sport and I see the huge positives which it would bring to uh, the monster, the whole monster region. And I can't actually even believe that we're we're at this stage where I've had to go and set up a petition to try and get this over the line. It's uh, it's it's it it just beggars belief. It, this is to me, it's a complete no-brainer. It just must go ahead. Fair enough, but one would argue that 150 million at a time when we need more hospitals more schools, homes for people. It's a lot of money to be spending on a sporting event. Yeah, I, I, I hear you, PJ, but that £150 million, uh, you know, it's not, it's not a cheque that they're going to be writing in a one or it's going to be spread over the whole duration of the event, really. And a lot of that money was allocated already anyway for the electri- electrification of the, uh, the Cork to Cove rail line and other infrastructural uh, jobs which were going to have to be carried out anyway in order to prepare us for the offshore uh, wind farm turbine assembly. But you would accept, wouldn't you, Mick, that yes, many of those things are in the programme for government and all of that, but the pandemic has changed the game. Yeah, for sure it has, uh, PJ, but at the end of the day, this is this is a golden opportunity for for Cork, for Ireland, for the whole Munster region. This is the third bi- biggest sporting event in, in the world after the, the Soccer World Cup and the Olymp and the Olympics. So to be even considered for it is 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 a real massive honour, really. Mm. And uh, it's it's also the oldest event sporting event in history. And um, there would be six, at least six teams, which would be coming across with a hundred people per team and each team would have a, a budget of a, approximately 150 euros 150 million euros 
and generally half of that budget is spent on location. So you're looking at a, a giant injection of, of money into the economy, you know, locally. And that's before I anybody mean, comes along and buys lunch or buys a sandwich or whatever. No, you're talking. I mean, what you're, if, like, basically, if, if, this was, if this was awarded to Cork, uh, the teams would start coming now. Each team would be spending money on accommodation, on food. They'd be buying groceries in the supermarkets. They'd be dining out in our restaurants. They'd be buying clothes. A massive injection of of tourism, which would start immediately, basically. Can we just address one question that's been asked? And I guess we, as Cork people, tend to look at our harbour and take it a little bit for granted, which is probably a mortal sin on our behalf. But this is the Formula One of sailing. Are we capable of it? We are absolutely capable of it, PJ. It's it's the, the second biggest natural harbour on the planet. It's uh, it, it, it's an op- of course we could like the sailing even outside the harbour off Roaches Point is fantastic. There, it, it would be phenomenally exciting. And we we looked at all the data, like basically for foiling hulls like these that these boats have. They kind of uh, 1.2 meters. Anything over 1.2 meters is a bit a bit sketchy for them. But we did all the analysis. We looked at everything. We looked at the graphs and we projected everything. And it's it would be perfect sailing conditions. Really, you're looking at you know max wave height there of a meter between May and September. Now, that, and that's a bit technical, which is which I, I understand. For for anyone who's not interested in sailing, though. I mean, is is this just a few boats up and down the harbour? Like, if you if you're not interested or not part of the sailing set, do you care about this? You absolutely do. I mean, this, as you said there, PJ, it is the Formula One of of sailing. So, and that's why it attracts nine hundred million TV viewers. That's that would be the projected amount, you know. Um, which and you're looking at two and a half million visitors to the area to look at this, uh, you know, which would be basically amount to 9 million hotel nights, you know. So you're looking at every hotel from Killarney, Limerick, Waterford uh, to being absolutely full. So it, it would just be the biggest thing to ever happen to Ireland. Uh, there's no question about it. And what we just desperately want is as much support from, from Cork people, from the local people mm. that would see the, and the huge benefits of yeah. this. And that's you, you might have no interest, says you, in the sport, and that's fine, but the, econ- the economic benefits will be enormous and the benefits for the city and county. Now, how quickly do we have to tell them yay or nay? Well, we got a bit of good news this morning, mm. which was that uh, the main investor uh, uh, who was on the rich list there in, in Auckland, a chap called Mark Dunphy, has been told by Team New Zealand that they're not no longer interested in having any discussions with them. So that's actually fantastic news because with every day which we were faffing around here and delaying things with in, in, in government here in Ireland on making a decision was another day closer for them to raise the, the finance needed to, to keep it and retain it in Auckland. So from that perspective, it was great news for us today. But we don't have long. At the end of the day, you've, you've also you've got Jeddah, you know, you still have Spain in the mix uh, and they're willing. They're willing to throw all the, all of the money at this. Mm. So, like in, in in from the Spanish perspective, the infrastructure is already there because they they already hold. But haven't they haven't they said they're not they're not pushed about it anymore? 
Well, Valencia isn't because they because they they can't even cope with the amount of tourists that they have already, and that's the main thing. That's the main reason why they're they, why they they can give or take it. It's just a headache for them because they're they, you can't even get a hotel room there anyway. But uh, but from our perspective, it would just be like the goose that lays the golden egg forever. Okay. Uh, you know, there there uh, you go on the the website, which is what I'm going to encourage everybody to do today that's mm. listening here we desperately and i'm pleading with everybody to go on there and sign the petition somebody made a comparison uh, to me last week Mick, and i'll finish with this and and tell me if i'm right or wrong we remember the, the those of us who are old enough to remember the, the great days of cork week cork week at its peak in the 90s and the early noughties that comparing cork week to this is like comparing a cove ramblers match to the world cup final that's a, that's a, a brilliant analogy, and that's really what you're looking at, you right. know. But yeah, so but your but the difference is Cork Week is a week. This is the teams would start coming now, PJ. Crikey. they'd start, okay, and they'd be they'd be a, you know a year's worth of of training as well. So right. and you know three yeah. months of racing. Effectively, what it is, Mick, you and others in in the business are telling us this is effectively an industry that would land here for the next two and a half to three years and and bring everything associated with it. Mick, thanks very much, Mick Horgan, uh, Cross Haven man, living in Oyster Haven but involved in sailing all of his life. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six on the phone. Someone says a fantastic opportunity to get Cork Harbour shown on TV around the world to be great for tourism, also for people who are considering locating businesses here or studying here. You just couldn't pay for that exposure and it wouldn't be Cork, it would be Cork, not Dublin or Kerry that's so often shown on television. Another call. You know what this is already? A political football. Fine Gael want to have a victory for Simon Coveney in a tight constituency and the Greens want to push their weight around. Thank you. Caller. 185715996. There's a website for the petition, which is change.org forward slash America's Cup Cork. And you know, I had the opportunity to see properly for myself what we're able to do in terms of a tourist attraction in the harbour. When I was down, I had a wonderful, wonderful evening with the writers and the organisers at Spike last Friday evening for Culture Night. And Look, it's my own fault. I haven't been to Spike in a long time. And I've got to tell you, what's happening in Spike is world class. Just world class. I mean, you know, you've been to places around the world where they have big tourist attractions. Spike is on a level of anything you've ever seen anywhere in the world. And they're just building more of it. Can you imagine, for example, the attractions that something like an American Cup will bring and the spend it'll bring? It's, you got to say... You've got to say, there surely has to be a way we can make it happen. And Tom raises a question. Now, this is apropos of nothing. Uh, we haven't discussed it. We haven't asked for this comment. But here it comes. All right, here it comes. Tom says, is there a dress code for taxi drivers? I got into a taxi yesterday. The driver's clothes were filthy. So I got out again. Most taxi drivers in Cork are fine. What I want to know is, should there be a dress, a dress code for the way they dress? Put it out there for what it's worth. 
Thanks, Tom. 185 We've been checking up with our Cork participants in Ultimate Hell Week over the last couple of weeks. We spoke to Anna Kaplis and we spoke last week to Peter Stringer. I watched it then last Wednesday night and I knew that I'd be talking to Valerie Mulcahy today. I don't know how anybody, Valerie, gets through scratch. What an experience last week. Good morning to you. Good morning. Yeah, it was certainly an experience. Uh, how long was it? Did then. it go on for? Hours. But the thing was, like, we just didn't know when it was going to end. It was just relentless. I mean, you're asked to bring the boat from one, one end of the beach to the next and then back over to where you started and then beyond again. There was like no let up. You thought you were nearly finished something and, you know, it was straight into something else. It was it was madness. It was, it was a real test of... Uh, of, I suppose mental grit as much as physical. Mm. Um, like there was one stage there, I was with Peter Stringer, and we were we were on the same boat, and I felt I was in the scrum, in the monster scrum, and he was like shouting, "Drive, drive!" And it was like I was like, "Wow, this you know this is a cool experience." Um, but just that level of determination and 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 grit and just going when your when your body nearly can't is. Um, it's yeah. amazing what your body. And mind I mean, the program. The program's only an hour long, and Scratch took up about forty minutes of it, if even that. And I was tired just watching. You know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like it was. I, I think yeah, the Scratch really showed what um, the, the levels of the intensity we were put through, and um, it, it was it's madness. Like it really is. But I mean, it's something that not too many people got to experience mm-hmm. and, and I got to do it with a great group of people and, and all to try and raise some money for charity so I'd like to get my plug in there if you could if anyone uh, would like to um, support uh, me and my charity the LGBT LGBT Ireland who do a lot of great work for um, you know support systems around the country um, in, and especially in Cork even with Link and and that, you know, my friend works um, voluntarily um, on the helpline in the evenings and stuff. So just, you know, the simple things are trying to keep that running and Absolutely. and help um, people to reach out. So anyway, uh, if you could rec- uh, text RECRUIT16, um, 16 is, is my number that I got. I had no name on the on the show. It was like number 16. I, I had to uh, alert to that, be alert to that. But it's uh, 50300. So if you can text that, uh, RECRUIT16. recruit 16. Five zero three zero zero. It makes it all a bit easier knowing that we went through that. If there's a bit of money coming in for the charity, absolutely, absolutely, worth getting involved in, Valerie. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, kind of my take on things is, you know, if uh, these kind of experiences are or um, opportunities to do something totally different present themselves, like you know, you can learn a lot from them, and you can have an experience that, as I said, not many people might get the opportunity to have. So. Um, you know, while it was really, really uh, <laughs> intense, grueling, brutal, I mean, you know, I got to learn a lot about myself and, and got to share with a great group of people, mm. you know, a lot of um, a lot of people. And you got, really got to get to know them straight away. Like there was, <laughs> you know, we were, we were down to even physically sports and bra- sports tops and, and underwear and everything like straight away. And there was, you know, a sense of honesty and, and yeah. uh, respect. And I think, you know, like sports, you no know, time to be shy and reserved here. You're straight into it and just Ab- cold water and dirty it. sand. and <laughs> Yeah, it's all about survival, really. And, and like we were in high alert. I think that was, you know, that kind of became apparent. Yeah. That just the small little things that, that became challenging because, 
you're just constantly going and you're sleep deprived and you've we've food restrictions on us and it was just you know for me that seems to be the hardest part like you you do something like scratch for for half the day and you get back and all you want and all you would want in the normal run of things is a shower bite to eat and a sleep and you're you're not going to get we didn't get a shower we we you're hosed down (laughs) We got lured into saw yeah, it's a false sense of security there one day the first in the first few hours and we got an opportunity to have a shower and and that's the last shower I saw anyway. So um <laughs> yeah, there was there was uh, very little uh, comforts and even in terms of food. I think we just got a Rations. I don't know was it after that event, but oh yeah, like a there was a pot noodle in it and the the water was wasn't even lukewarm, it wasn't even tepid oh, and oh, the pot oh. noodle wasn't even melting like Oh god bless you. So, Valerie, I don't know. I'm not even going to ask you how you did because I know I'm not allowed, and you're not allowed to tell me. But keep keep it up. The the, the show is back on tonight. Uh, Ultimate Hell Week. It's fun to watch. Fun to watch. Valerie Mulcahy uh, flying the flag for the LGBT charity. Recruit sixteen is her number. If you want to make a donation by voting for her. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. I think to be fair, there's an awful lot of people out there who would love to see, even though they know nothing about sailing and probably care less, they, they would love to see a massive, massive global event like the America's Cup here in Cork Harbour in, in 2024. You'd probably end up with a whole load of overnight sailing fans. And who cares about that? Who cares? We all become tennis fans during Wimbledon and we all become snooker fans during the World Championship and we all become, I mean, people become soccer boars during the World Cup. We could all become sailing boars. Who cares? It sounds like an enormous event. Uh, PJ, though, we have families living in the streets, going without food, and all Simon Coley wants to do is entertain his rich friends at the cost to the taxpayer. That is the other side of the argument. Although, great show with reference to the Americans' Cup, in addition to the benefits you're aware of, what about the developing of maritime training courses in yacht design, maintenance, repair, boat building, and of course, inspiring young sailors? In addition, host nations normally get to hold the event again. So we're looking at 10 years of being the hub of Formula One sailing. That's from Paul in Cove. Deirdre then makes the point, and I can't disagree with you, Deirdre. And this is the one I'll be hoisted on my own sword for, but I believe this firmly. Deirdre says, morning PJ, if it was to go to Dublin, you can be sure there wouldn't be a problem. You can sing it from the rooftops, Deirdre. You can sing it, girl. If this was an idea for Dublin, there wouldn't be a problem. Because don't we know Dublin's Ireland, it's still Ireland. I, I, sorry now, I'll be in trouble for that, but I don't actually care because I think Deirdre's dead right. There wouldn't, we wouldn't be, even be asking the question. Thanks for having me on, says uh, that chap we had on before 10 talk, talking about it. Uh, we, had, we were chatting with Mick Horgan from Crosshaven. 
and he has that change.org petition going on. He said, thanks for having me on. Please ask PJ to read out the link to the petition again or as often as possible. We want to get 10,000 signatures. Change.org forward slash America's Cup. All right. 1850-715-996. Yesterday we were talking about um, drugs and we were speaking to Michael Gearin about whether or not we should have injection centres uh, and an injection centre in Cork. And, and there's a lot of people saying at this stage, look, it would just make sense because there is a cohort of drug users who are not going to go into rehab. They're not going to quit the habit, we much as we'd like them to. And rather than having them in the streets stoned out of their mind and them in danger and putting others in danger and in danger of overdose and death and all that, why not have a proper injection centre? And it led to quite a number of comments coming in. Some far, some against it must be said. But we got this call uh, which gives pause for thought. Uh, mother on the phone, I think. I had to put my daughter into rehab during lockdown because I could finally see what was happening. We were all at home and she was breaking the lockdown to get drugs. She was buying tablets for a euro at a time. There are so many people in Mahan, she said, selling Valium, Xanax and other antidepressant tablets. These are just local people, not big dealers you hear so much about. They don't care about their neighbours or their community. The only way to stamp this out is catch them and have huge sentences. A lot of them don't even have so-called godfathers. They're just buying off the internet in one way or another. It could be some foreign dealer or someone who just has spare tablets and selling them on Facebook. And that's a, a call that resonates with a fact, and it's a very stark fact, that one of the drugs of choice that is abused in this city and abused on street corners and abused in houses up and down the city in rich areas, in poor areas, in working class areas, in so-called upper class areas. Benzos and antidepressants being abused right, left and centre. If you don't believe me, ask doctors and ask Michael Gearin and they'll tell you. Thanks for that, 1850-715-996. Now... Have you ever thought about the dark side of Instagram? Instagram, I have an Instagram. It's it's not the one I use most of the time as my social media. I think there's too much hard work in it, to be honest with you, but it's there. And it's one of the most popular social media sites worldwide, particularly for young women. And we think it's always been there. It came out in 2010, so Instagram is about 11 years old now. And it was bought by Facebook in 2012 and now has a billion users around the world. 1.8 million of them are here in Ireland. That's a colossal number. That's a huge number. 1.8 million people using Instagram here in Ireland. Now recently the, the Wall Street Journal published an investigation into worrying links between the use of Instagram and rates of depression in teenage girls. This is interesting. Produced by Facebook, but not previously released, they make for a stark reading. 32%, again quoting from the Wall Street Journal, 32% of teenage girls who were surveyed said when they felt bad about their bodies, Instagram made them feel worse. Which is 
worrying, to say the very least. Now, Mary McGill is a media studies lecturer and journalist. Her book, The Visibility Trap, Sexism, Surveillance and Social Media, was published uh, in July. And she joins me. Mary, good morning. Hi, PJ. How are you? Very well, thanks. The, the, the dark side of any social media, I suppose, we've, it's, it's mm. a talking point for us any day. You know, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, but Instagram seems to have a very dark side if this research in the Wall Street Journal is to be believed. Indeed, and I thought it was interesting that you yourself there, in referencing your own Instagram account, said that it takes a lot of work. What's, what's distinctive about Instagram, <clears throat> excuse me, is uh, the immense emphasis that it puts on the visual. You know, it's known for pictures. When we think of Instagram, mm-hmm. we think of that, you know, lovely, bright, shiny wall of images, usually of people enjoying themselves, beautiful interiors, all of this kind of thing. But it takes a lot of work to look that happy and to produce those bright, shiny pictures. And underneath that work um, can be a lot of self-comparison a lot of shame, a lot of watching the likes that your image does or does not get. And depending on the type of person that you are, and we all know that adolescence, you know, is a particularly vulnerable time in our lives. There's a lot going on anyway. And it was always a time when we compared ourselves to other people to kind of figure out our place in the world. But you throw something like Instagram into that mix where you have such an emphasis on how you look, such an emphasis on at least portraying a life that you're enjoying, such an emphasis on belonging and been part of a friend group and having other people see that and, and mm. you feeling that yourself and you can see how it feels like being under almost a magnifying glass or a spotlight and of course this generation are really the first generation who are growing up underneath that spotlight so we're in the process really I mean when you think about it Instagram is only just 10 years old so there's still enough that we don't know yet about its impact on you know the population at large mm. but clearly what is emerging you know, and what has been emerging for a number of years when it comes to how people use sites like Instagram. Um, there is certainly a dark side and it's a dark side we need to be paying more attention to. Mm. The, the reports from the Wall Street Journal, and again, this is from mm. Facebook's own data, which was never published until recently, speak of mm. a thing called comparison culture. What's that, Mary? Yeah. Well, for teenage girls, traditionally, you look to your friend group at that time of your life to kind of anchor you in the world because you're beginning to kind of separate from your family. You're beginning to kind of assert your own identity and your peer group and the sense of belonging that you have in that is absolutely integral. It's often around around that age where people get into, you know, the mad music tastes or obsessions with different things. You know, they're trying to, to come into their own as young adults and make that break that launches them off into the world. It's natural to look around to compare yourself to others at that point in your life. It's a phase that we we all go through. But what that happens what happens when that is funneled through platforms like Instagram is that you are you're putting out images of yourself and you're looking around to see who's approving of these images and you're looking around to see if your images fit in with the other images that are out there and so what would have been a phase that you kind of move through in in a kind of um an offline context Mm. um is now been recorded and documented and dissected and picked over because it's basically being published and there can be pleasure in that pj there can be great fun 
but it can feel like being part of a very harsh and very public, never-ending popularity context. Yeah. The contest. Yeah. Because when you go home, there is no off button on the internet. You know, there is no break. Yeah. These platforms never shut. So it's always it's always there in your phone, in your hand, in your head. Well, I'm I'm into when I when I said that uh, an awful lot of it is for me just just too much work. And to be honest, a, mm. a nice picture of my dogs is about as far as I go on Instagram, <laughs> or a nice view of the sea, or whatever I happen to see. Do you know? Mm. But there's work in getting it perfect, yeah. and a lot of the images that you see have been so heavily filtered, and and women yeah. in particular, young women in particular, they're learning about filters and they're photoshopping their faces and they're photoshopping mm. their bodies, and they're doing it just to get the perfect shot on Instagram. Yeah. That's got to have an impact when 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 you're that self-conscious. It's got to have an impact. Yeah, um, something I write about in the visibility trap is, you know, I think what you're referring to there a lot of the time is selfies, right? Yeah. But in so many ways, PJ, the self has so little to do with the selfie because the selfie is an image that we create for other people. And when we do that, when we go through those motions of trying to anticipate what other people want from us, what the culture wants from, from us, we end up creating these images of ourselves sometimes that actually are nothing like ourselves. Um, but we put them out there and they're published and they're ranked and judged and all of these things and that creates a really uncomfortable disconnect before b- between who we are as people in the world in our bodies in reality and who we're trying to be online and that can be a really uncomfortable tense situation because I always think of imposter syndrome right you know mm-hmm. the idea that people who succeed and are very very successful often underneath it all don't believe in, in their capabilities at all well it's like a type of imposter syndrome where you're looking at this image that you've created supposedly quote unquote of yourself and yet you know at some level that it isn't and that's not a very nice feeling and mm-hmm. and, and those images follow you follow you around and that feeling follows you around and mm-hmm. again this is not something that it it might have been something celebrities experienced, you know, until quite recently. But now we're all experiencing it to various degrees mm. if we're active in these spaces. I happen to, to meet someone that has quite a following on Instagram. And that's all I'll say. Mm. I won't go anywhere near to, to, to mentioning their name or identifying. Someone who has quite a following on Instagram. I happen to meet, as they say, inverted commas, in real life. And mm. it was like two different people. But my observation was... You're a fantastic looking woman in your own right. There's no need for all this paint and all this uh, transformation. Go on Instagram as yourself. But that seems to be the last thing they want to do. Yes, yeah, so I think the I think the kind of aesthetics that get the greatest degree of visibility on Instagram are those you know hyper groomed aesthetics. Like that is when you log in, that is what you're generally presented with. That very kind of Kim Kardashian glossy, hypersexualized mm. type of look that tends to get the, the the most visibility on the platform. Now, from ordinary people and indeed you know influencers who don't have the kind of you know massive management team and all the rest of it, that the absolute one percent of the influencer crew do the very top of the food chain. I mean, that's just impossible to sustain, you know, yeah. um, because for, for most people working in that area and trying to create a name for themselves, first of all, it's very, very hard work. Quite a one minute work. video is a business. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, but it, it is. It, it's very hard work, and it. But it's it, you are everything. You know, you are you are the product. You are the creator. You're the PR. You're the manager, um. And so, you know, trying to live up to all of that, I think, 
is is far more difficult than maybe people realise. It's not for the faint-hearted. Mm. Everything is awesome was the tune from the Lego movie. And, and that seems to be <laughs> the, the, the Instagram world. Everything is awesome. Mm. Everything is great. I read a few articles in the last six months that resonated with me, Mary, about toxic positivity. There's a lot of mm. toxic positivity on Instagram, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, I know. When you say that, I'm immediately thinking of the inspiration quotes and all the rest of it. And I think, um, you know, a little bit of that is fine. I think the problem is that really what's going on in these spaces, PG, is actually really, really complex. And there is a real dark side to it. And that often when we're spending a lot of time investing ourselves on these platforms, we're doing so to get away from things we're actually unhappy with, right? They're a great distraction tool. They're a great avoidance tool. So yeah, and I think this kind of, for a long time, there was this expectation that you should be positive and you put a positive spin on everything that you would post up there. But that's actually become almost in a way now creepy, like it's a bit, particularly in the context of what we've been through in the last year and a half, you know, mm. um, and it's not natural or good to be positive all the time. You know, we need a balance of, of light and shade in our lives. And so, but, but, you know, when you open up Instagram, you'd have to look very hard for the shade because it's all about the shiny, you know, mm. it's all about the bright. But again, that can put people under tremendous pressure. Yeah. Instead of being authentic and honest about where we're coming from, we can again feel that need to portray a persona, a persona mm. that is just not who we because t- t- teenage girls in, in particular, uh, I think, mm. are very influenced by their peers. And, and yes. they, they don't maybe have the emotional maturity to realise how fake mm-hmm. some of it is. Indeed. Well, one thing that I'm struck by um, in researching this this area is how much its dynamics actually reflect that period of our lives, like like, like teenagehood. You know, the, these sites rely on our need to belong. They rely on our need to be um, approved of by other people. And it's like they almost keep us to a degree in that state of adolescence, like looking for that approval, wanting to act in a way that, that's going to please other people rather than, and I think this is the crucial thing you know it's all about the external approval rather than which is which is what should happen when you move into adulthood you know you you become more self-reliant mm. your your sense of self comes from within rather than from without but mm. but these platforms are all about the external approval and you're literally you're literally outsourcing your self-esteem mm. has it gone too far lastly mary has it gone too <sighs> far to reverse it now that's a great question. You know, Instagram is just a decade old. It was a decade old last year. That is no length of time at all when you think about, you know, in media history. Um, and yet it is, you know, it's developed far ahead of our capabilities to kind of keep up with it and, and, and regulate it and, and all the rest of it. I don't know if it's gone too far, but we certainly need to, to, to get ahead of it a, a lot faster than where we are. We need more research. We need more conversations like this. And we need to be very much aware and instilling in young people as well that all that glitters is certainly not gold. And we need a much, much higher degree of media literacy when it comes to using mm. these platforms at all ages. Here's the last one for you to think about, and it's a quick one. If we were at the point where we were inventing social media again, <laughs> mm. would we change stuff? 
Absolutely. 110% we would change stuff. And I think, you know, there's real pleasure and fun to be had. And here's the thing. I think we can absolutely have the pleasure and fun and, and we can never completely remove risk. But I think we can certainly reduce it in, in a massive way. And the potential is there for companies and new products to do exactly that. So as much as, as we need to grapple with the dark side, we also need to be thinking about how to do things differently. All right. Good to speak with you. Miriam McGill, she's a media studies lecturer and journalist and the author of The Visit. Visibility trap, sexism, surveillance, and social media. Thanks for being with us on the opinion line, Mary. Can we just talk? The opinion line on Corks 96 FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. CMIG.ie. What's that message? I heard on a program yesterday that a 20 year old girl said a selfie should get a minimum 400 likes. I was like, my God. It's an addiction. Well, that's an argument that we discussed on this program a number of years ago. Now it seems to have gotten traction in the mainstream that actually social media is an addiction. Your phone is an addiction. Your screens are an addiction. There was a guy called Simon Sinek was talking about this. That's four or five years ago now. And we mentioned him here on the program uh, and, and kind of went faded away. We put it out there, and now it's a, it's a mainstream thought. Actually, social media is an addiction, just like any other addiction. Uh, 1857-15996, a story we've been following very closely across the summer were the continuing developments at the Cork Life Centre. And to sum it up, they got a promise of a huge injection of funding in the last 12 months, which would have being a saviour for them and keep the work that they do going and keep the fantastic magic that goes on behind the red door to keep that going. But then there was a problem because it looked for a while as if they'd have to take different teachers on and not be able to keep on their own staff. And that was not acceptable to Don and Rachel and the crew. And there was months of negotiations. They broke down at one point through toing and froing here and there. And there's been a development in the last 24 hours. I don't fully understand it, so the best thing to do is get Don O'Leary to explain it to me. Don, good morning. Good morning, PJ. Um, yeah, there has been, you know, and, and you know, I'm, I'm smiling there because yeah, it's sometimes when you get information from the department, you have to read it a million times and you still can't make sense of it. However, this one has been a bit clearer. I suppose look, we, we've been trying for 20 years to, you know, get proper funding into the centre to allow us to, you know, not to have to worry about the future. And it comes up and pops up. But, like, we we have never got to the stage where we're at now uh, in the past. And I suppose, you know, the good thing for me straight away um, from the Minister, Norma Foley, and she was before the Oireachtas Committee in Education yesterday uh, and reconfirmed all she's saying about the Life Centre, is that um, they're now not going to bring in outside staff. That was never going to happen anyway, but they're not known trying to bring in outside staff into the centre. And they've agreed to, um, to to look at funding our own staff properly into the future so that the, the centre becomes sustainable. Um, now, initially what they're doing is they're, they've given us an extra 3,000 hours, which are partly mowers. Hmm. Um, uh, and we're, we, we're happy to take that, but we took that in relation to um, a commitment to, to put the teachers' uh, proper pay in that they would be full-time. 
in that, like they're full time in every other in every other sense, except they don't get paid, and uh, they've agreed to put that uh, down for further discussions and to move forward on a framework that would look to the sustainability hmm. uh, of the centre. So the idea, Don, and we, we talked about this, you and me, in in the early part of the summer, the, the idea that, in the one hand, they're saying, right, here's the money, you can have the funding, now, there's the people you need to take on. That's that, off the table now. That That's that's off the table, and in fairness to the, the Minister, yesterday, it was very uh, straightforward in that, and saying that's no longer on the agenda, which for us is important. Uh, it was never going to happen anyway, but, you know, it, it was, you know, at the time, we felt it was kind of disrespectful to staff that had been here 12 years, uh, someone who's still involved uh, as volunteers, um, to kind of give them, you know, the, the, the rights that everyone has that, that when, they're, when they're working full-time that they get, uh, you know, you can go to a bank and you can get a mortgage. Mm. Um, you know, you, can, you, you don't have to worry about signing on um, all through the summer and through any holiday period. Um, and... Like, we're looking at now the idea that, that the staff, the majority of them teachers, the majority here between uh, 8 to 12 years, that, that they're now going to be put on a footing um, that they deserve and that, you know, they, they'll keep going on. Mm. It isn't there yet. I mean, that's why I'm cautiously opt- optimistic on this. I suppose we've seen a couple of false dawns yeah. over the past. But this is really uh, the first real big breakthrough that we, we've made with. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. We're a part of education, uh, and we're really happy about that. I mean, you know, we probably travel further this year than we have in the 20 years prior to this year. And um, it's, it's a good feeling. We're not celebrating, by the way, yeah. but, but it is a good feeling. And it's, yeah. great. it's a great recognition, I think, of, of what the staff ha- have done over the years. And, and it's also hugely important for the young people that are in the centre. Because for a lot of the young people in the centre, one of the issues they have is that a significant adult that they think is important to them disappears. Yeah. And they don't know why. 
and, and that's a huge, a huge issue for them. Yeah. Now they will see, hopefully going into the future, there is going to be a lot of staff around here who they're going to be seeing every day. They might be fed up with them at the end of it, though, especially when they're trying to make them do work. But like, it, it's, it's been fantastic. And yeah. I mean, you know, we sat, we, we had 12 kids doing the, the leaving cert this year, we, as we always do here, we sat for them individually with their parents and discussed the journeys they had made. Um, in relation to being in the centre. Now, they all have their leaving certain I suppose we're not, you know me on points and what I think about points, but like there's three of the young people from last year who've gone directly into university, into the yeah. courses that they wanted. Uh, there's seven of, of the rest gone into PLCs because there's courses there and they don't feel they're ready to go, to yeah. go forward. Yeah. And I think, you know, these are kids that were told in the scrappy that were told they wouldn't achieve, would never do a leaving cert. Um, and here you have it. They're, they're going, and, that, and that's done okay. primarily first to the students, and then it's done to the staff that are here who've supported them in 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 a really respectful yeah. way. And, and that's the and, and that's and that's the key to this. And that's why you and your colleagues up there were so determined that yeah, we, thank you for the money, but we use it to pay our own people, not not for who you'd like us to yeah. hire. Do you think? Finally, Don, and I know you said we're not celebrating yet, there's no champagne been opened just yet, but do you think we're in a position now where Norma Foley gets it? Oh, I, I, I well, I, 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 I'm hoping so. I think the statement she made just, uh, let's, let's no doubt about it, you know, the negotiations, we were having our officials in the department, and I hope now that the, 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 the department officials get what the life centre is about. After 20 years, you would be hoping they would anyway. But then Norma Foley will, will definitely, and in fairness, you know, I, I, I listened to your Oxus broadcast yesterday. The one thing that strikes me, and I haven't seen it too often, is where, you know, Michal Martin put in a shift and tried to push him forward. Polly Sullivan was, was absolutely amazing in, in, in where, you know, we got to a minister or we got to the education subcommittee. That was up to Polly. But also, the likes of Thomas Gould, the likes of Donegal Leary, uh, and other politicians in, in Cork, they didn't all go different ways. And mm. even in, you know, we, the important thing was that they stay united. And they did. And, yes, and there's you know, cross-party cross support for, there for is, the work. And I think the other thing is, we love me to say, you know, the likes of yourself, the likes of Donald O'Keefe and Dishox, um, and the people of Cork, and maybe even wider field, who have supporters through the process, because times going through the process, we hear first like, oh, look, let's leave it, and we'll carry on the way we are, uh, because it was so hectic. But, but, but the support we were getting allowed us, you know, to feel that, uh, and to be able to move forward. And, you know, it wasn't for ourselves, it's for the young people yep. and, and the staff that have contributed so much mm-hmm. to the, the, in making the Cork Life Centre what it is, you know. Okay. Uh, and, and look again, I'd like to thank all those people, and, you know, we're not there yet. We might come and look for your support again. And we don't like to see coming to everyone and say, oh, this is a mess up. Um, well, we have to go back like we did in, in May. Um, and we're hoping we won't have to do that. But look, okay. we'll keep going no matter what the outcome is here. Okay. But, but it is very positive. Okay. And yeah. once it keeps moving, I, I, I'm kind of hopeful um, that we don't see the Life Centre going into the, not just next year, but right into the future, and we can do what we do. All right, and do it, and do it so well, and continue to do it. Donna Leary, Director of the Cork Life Centre, thank you very much. 1850 715 
Opinion line on Corks 96 FM with McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Access all areas on Corks 96 FM. Your guide to nightlife on Lee Side. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Corks Entertainment. A collective of outstanding musicians interpreting the music of Leonard Cohen comes to Cork Opera House to play Bird on a Wire, consisting of Pauline Scanlon and the Wildaways. They'll celebrate many of Cohen's best-loved musical works. It takes place as part of the Jazz Festival on Wednesday, October 27th. Access all areas. Following the sellout success of last year's adaptation of The Snow Queen, Broken Crow returns with an original spin-off audio series for children, The Little Robber Girl. It'll be broadcast from the Everyman Theatre from Monday the 18th of October to Friday the 22nd. Access All Areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a show, play, exhibition or gig coming up or any live streaming events by emailing us at aaa at 96fm.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96FM. Mohammed is a listener to the Opinion Line who contacted us to discuss a problem that he's facing. Mohammed is originally from Sudan and he got in touch with us to see could we shed any light on the problem that he's facing. So, Mohammed, how long have you been in Cork? Um, I'm here in Ireland since 2004, okay, and I'm Irish citizenship, okay, since uh, 2010 or 2011, I don't know. Okay. Anyway, since I arrived here, I was working all the time. I never been in the social in my life, okay? okay? And then in 2011, my mother back in Sudan, I'm originally from Sudan. Yes. Okay, my mother, she's getting very sick there and she needs somebody to look after her and have two brothers. They are working always and you know Sudan is a very poor country and it's very hard to, 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 to make money and things there. Yes. So we decide, okay, I'm the, I'm the oldest of my brothers, uh, to go and look after my mother and they are working. They're taking care of me and her and I live in my family house in there. So I spent about eight years in Sudan until find someone to look after her. So then I come back. Right. So when I uh, I came back here in 2019, and when I was here, I get sick. So I went to the hospital and I diabetic and hypertensive and lots of things. So have suffering from the heart disease. Yes. So I couldn't do anything. I too. So I went to the social and I told them. Look, guys, uh, I need to, 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 to apply for the social. And one of the workers there, he's uh, applied for the disability. I said, fine, you know more than me. So and I make the form for the disability. And since that time, they refused my application. And they say, no, you are out of the States and the habitual residency. You are not happy to stay in the island and blah, 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 blah. I never get, and now it's 29 months, I I didn't get even one euro from the social. Right, so so they told you in 2019 the best thing to do was apply for disability. You are a citizen. I'm a citizen and I couldn't work. So so where are you living, Mohammed? Now I'm living at the moment in Commons Inn Hotel, that which is... uh, uh, 
homeless accommodation. Right. Uh, I've been here through uh, San Vincent Hostel. I see. I see. San Vincent the Ball Hostel because I was there from the hospital. They put me there, and then when the day when the coronavirus is coming on uh, last year to uh, March, so then because of my uh, medical situation, I need private room, private bathroom. Sure. So they. They, they they bring me here uh, to, to the Commons in hotel. Okay. It's, yeah, it's there. And some of the workers, they keep saying to me, well, I'm telling you, better to go back to Sudan. I say, how you come you say that to me? I'm not going to Sudan. I'm not happy to live in Sudan. My mother, she called me because she needs my help. You came to Ireland. You made a life here. You went home to assist your mother when she was sick and now that you come back and you are sick they won't help you yeah, yeah they, they refuse to help me and i told them i have daughter three years there i applied for her for the irish citizenship to be with me but because of pandemic they are stopped everything i can't bring her she's with her mom yeah she's with her mom and uh it's it's hard to me I didn't see her for years and they can't bring her to me. So I told them, look guys, I'm 28 months now in Ireland. I think that's more than enough to prove for you that uh, habitual residency is gone because I'd like to live here the rest of my life. Imagine since I came 2019, I couldn't buy anything for myself. No clothes, no shoes, no thing, nothing at all. My friends, from our community in Sudanese, they're helping me every time, making sharing money, 20, 50 euros for my spend. So it's the it's the Sudanese community in Cork is helping you to live? Yeah. And the ending, I went to the, to the solicitor. What has he said about your case? Does he think you should be entitled to the payment? He said, I am entitled, and he said to me, that 28 months, it's more than enough that being um, in Ireland. So they they shouldn't say uh, about, they shouldn't talking about habitual residency. So you, you believe that you've filled in a perfectly valid application for the disability. So does your solicitor believe the same, and yet you can get nowhere. And you're surviving, you're surviving on charity from friends, is that right? Exactly, and that's not enough for me even. It's just for try some food, and, and mm. I swear to God, if you saw me, I have I have no anything to wear. It. It's just one track suit. I wear it all the time. Yes, that's not unbelievable. It's not fair. And and tell me, what age are you, Mohammed? I'm fifty-five. Yeah. One more point is very important for me. My daughter, she's very sick at the moment. I couldn't go even to see her. I'm like in prison. I'm just worried if I go to see her for two weeks or three weeks, I lost all my things here. Oh. I, I leave her like that. She's sick and she always on the phone saying, Daddy, when you come to see me, when you come to, that is hurting me. I'm, yes. I'm, I'm, I'm really suffering now in my mind. I'm staying on my own in my room. <laughs> okay, mate. Okay. Okay. And you can't go, 
you can't go to see her because you will lose what little you already have. I won't go to see her today if something happens for her. I'm not going to forget myself. Let us see if anybody can can advise you. Mohammed, thank you so much for speaking to me and I wish you luck and I hope that your little girl will be all right soon and that you can get to see her at least. Take care of yourself as well, will you? I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to put, to, to, to put you on this. No, 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 don't, don't, don't you be sorry. No emotion, I can't do, I can't, I can't more all this. It's very, very, very thing. I don't know how to explain, but it's too much for me. It's really too much for me. I hope that you have someone you can talk to right now, because I have to finish up with you, but I do wish you the best of luck. Try to, if you have a friend, contact them now, please, because I know you're very distressed, but thank you for being with us. Thank you very much. Thanks, mate. I recorded that a few days ago with uh, Mohammed. Distressing situation. You, you, have to, you have to feel sorry for the poor guy. Uh, 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Listen to Cork's 96FM all day Friday to win your way to Ed Sheeran. Live in Cork on April 28th. Thank you so much for having me up. Tickets go on sale Saturday at 8 a.m., but you can win them before you can buy them all day this Friday, only on Cork's 96FM. We've talked before uh, more than once with Prunchius Otuma about his work for and and, and his passion for the coastal habitats and beaches of East Cork and just keeping the beaches clean and keeping the habitats clean around East Cork. We've spoken to Prunches uh, quite a few times on the programme. He's now been named as the Mace Community Environmental Unsung Hero. Uh, fair play to you, young man. Congratulations. Good morning. <laughs> There's two compliments there. You said young man as well, which I'll, I'll, I'll grab onto. Yeah, no, look, it's 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 brilliant. Um, the recognition is lovely and... and um, there was a, I think there was a, a nice check for a thousand euros as well that came with it, which um, we've we've got paid directly into the Clean Coast Balnamona account just to, I suppose, for insurances and and uh, maintenance of our equipment and whatever have you for next year. So look, that that's a big help. And before we go any further, um, if anybody's listening and would like to help, uh, we have an absolutely gorgeous 2022 calendar mm-hmm. for next year. You can buy it for ten euros locally in the shops in like the Troll Door or Broderick's or the Ballymaloo Cafe or Cookery School and Castle Martyr and Central and all these wonderful places. Um, or if you can't get to us locally, um, go online to Sea and Land Trust. That's S-E-A and Land Trust. Okay. Trust dot uh, org. And uh, we'll, we'll post it to you. So it's, it's 13.75 posted to anywhere in Ireland or UK. So I had to get that in at the start. Absolutely. <laughs> they're, the things that keep me, they're the things that keep me awake all night. You know, how are we going to pay to keep us going? But anyway. For a second year, uh, we have been at home um, for our holidays. And that means that the mm-hmm. beaches of County Cork were busier than ever before, including... I guess the the ones we didn't know about a couple of years ago, beautiful places like Ballybranigan and the likes. Have we been clean people or have we been messy litter bugs? 
Um, it, it's a really good question, and different beaches have different localized uh, issues with you know depending where you go. I will say um, Ardna Hinch was the best I've seen it in several years, and I've spoken to you and with you before. Um, uh, on on Arden Hinch, and when we had the you know um, I suppose some uh, behaviour and and the, you know the being left and stuff, yeah. yeah the campfires and the the wild the wild camping by wild people and whatever have you and leaving their their stuff there. Arden Hinch was the best we've ever seen it. Uh, Gary Vaux looks amazing. Bally Ballinwilling, Bally Crennan. Um, over to Red Barn, they're all looking really good. I suppose the issues that we had this year were people. Um, uh, maybe through error, maybe you know a bit of wind might have blown a bit of debris from the car or a tissue or a bit of plastic or whatever have you. You know that kind of the day tripper stuff probably presents an issue. And the other one would be um, uh, on Bally Branigan. Uh, so we so at the weekend we cleaned uh, Sunday. Where did we go Sunday? Uh, Arden Hinch actually. We went to Arden Hinch and, and Ballynamona on Sunday. And we did a beach clean there. Uh, Thursday we were in Bally Branigan and Friday we were in White Bay. Uh, White Bay we, we spoke about already this year mm-hmm. uh, Ballybranigan the problem there that we're having um, and and it's 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 not just Ballybranigan I think we just did an experiment where we we counted uh, we didn't put we normally I suppose would put the dog poo bags into the bag but what we did was we got a container right. uh, kind of like a basket type thing um, and we said right I was, I was out with the uh, the the fabulous TY students of St. Coleman's Community College and uh, said to the guys, okay, what's this box for? And they couldn't guess. And they took out 50 euros. And went, right, what, what, what do we think? And they were all guessing. And it was like, no, we're going to put the dog poo bags into this. And in fairness, uh, they amassed a small collection. Um, I did think it was going to be worse. Um, but no, we, we they, they collected about maybe 12 to 14 dog poo bags, which is probably enough anyway. Yeah. Um, where people had gone to the, the trouble of picking up the dog poo and put it but in the bag. Somehow it didn't make it home. It did, yeah. It so they, picked, the up bag, the, they but... picked up the poo, put it in the bag, and then dumped it at the beach. <laughs> the posture of a dog is, is it's very hard not to notice when your dog is going for a poo this in a public true. space. Mm. And if there's people looking at you, you know, people are, are you know, oh, we better pick it up. But it's what happens afterwards. So look, if you're bringing the dog home, bring the, the poo bag and the poo home with you, please. Why would you go to the trouble of actually having the bag? <laughs> And I, I think I think there's people out there with different kinds of degrees and whatever have you who might you might be better to ask, but yeah. look, it's just look, it, it, yeah, it's it's poo, it's not nice, um, yeah. and not you know, healthy, it's, it's, just, just it's a it health. Bring it's it a health. much trouble because I had a very distressing uh, phone call during the summer from a woman whose whose youngster hurt her foot on an old barbecue in, that, in White Bay, yeah. yeah. In White Bay, yeah, I, I remember you do, doing that story. And we, we took on White Bay around the same time. And uh, in the, the, the newspapers, the very good people at the Examiner, uh, the Echo, um, they, they covered it, where it was mentioned, uh, White Bay was mentioned in the Eyeball survey. There was 35 beaches and harbours surveyed. And sadly, uh, two locations in Cork came out last. Um, I can send you the survey as well afterwards mm. and, and how it was conducted. Um, uh, Black Rock Castle, the area there, and White Bay were, were mentioned as the two dirtiest areas. And, yeah. and to be fair, they, they, they were certainly White Bay where we're working on. 
Um, we, like White Bay has been winnowed for years with with old plastics. It's been washing up uh, on Friday. Uh, so we've we've done several beach cleans down there uh, over the summer. Uh, there was at one stage there was so much broken glass down there. Uh, we did put up a kind of a little alert to people because normally, you know, when families come out on a Sunday morning and join us and, and bring young kids, we did have to say for White Bay uh, that, look, it might not be appropriate to yeah. bring young children out with you. That's so um, we found several CMP milk bottles and, you know, from, you know, donkeys years milk ago. bottles. Because and CMP yeah, were making milk bottles. Produce very quickly before I let you go, lastly and, and yeah. briefly, we're heading into another winter. There will be mm-hmm. more storms. Surely that mm-hmm. big old rotting, rusting hulk, the MV Alta, must be very worrying. Um, it, it could if it be were worse. To break up. Uh, I think, uh, yeah. Look, it could be worse because a lot of the 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 any of the dangerous material that was surveyed by Cork County Council at the time. We did follow the story closely. Um, if it starts to break up, it's going to start to break up. It's going to be like any wreck. But I mean, a lot of the material that would have been dangerous, like the diesel, um, was 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 pumped out of it. Okay. Uh, I think it wasn't a heavy fuel oil, like that crude oil type. Um, it wasn't being powered by that. That could have made okay. it a lot worse. So we're, we're thankful for that. Okay. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850 715 996. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The opinion line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, if you'd like to contact or support Francesca's and the group's work in East Cork and the beaches of East Cork, just look them up. Clean Coasts Ballinamona. Clean Coasts Ballinamona. B A L L Y N A M O N A. Clean Coasts and you'll find all you need to know. They're on Facebook. I think they may even have their own website now at this stage. 1850-715-996. Reminder to you, Premier League Live is back this Saturday on 96am.ie with Trevor Welsh, all powered by TalkSport. Another busy day for Trevor and the team. Live coverage of Chelsea versus Manchester City. That's a big one. At half past 12. Everton v Norwich City at three. And Brentford against Liverpool. That is at half past five. All the usual guests and analysis and previews and whatever you're having yourself with. The Premier League Live online with now your sport on your terms. Stream only the games that matter to you most with now. And listen Saturday on the Quark's 96mm app or go to 96fm.ie Just on the subject of Mohammed and the story he told us in the last hour, Carlos says it's terrible to hear about this case. I feel so sorry for him. There's a homeless group outside the Savoy on Wednesdays. They won't only give him food, but they'll give him clothing and try to help him out in any way that they can. He sounds very gentle and it's a disgrace what's happened to him and to other people. Uh, thanks for that call. 1850-715-996. I've been following this story over the last week or two, and I have a particular fascination with it on a number of different levels. Uh, you, this lad called um, Stefan Doyle uh, turned up on the X Factor in Romania. Now, Stefan grew up here, but he was adopted as a baby from Romania. And he's back in Romania, uh, was back in Romania, actually to, to search for his, his original family, his birth family. But while he was there, he entered the X Factor. Now, I may have that sequence a bit 
out of line. We'll check that in a minute. But he entered the X Factor. And of course, as you know, at the X Factor auditions, people come on stage and they talk about who they're with and you know, what their particular story is. Uh, and this was Stefan's story on the stage at the X Factor in Romania. Who is here with me today yes. is my my mother, my adoptive mother. Um, and uh, she has always supported me, so she's here. My childhood was was like any childhood. It was lovely. Um, I uh, always grew up with uh, music. I began to play piano and sing uh, when I was, I think, six. My childhood was a good childhood and a happy childhood. She has always been supportive of me looking for my original family and um, has always told me that, you know, if I ever want to go and find them, that she will be with support me you. and support me. Yes. So that's the, the, the talk up, as it were, to any particular um, audition on The X Factor. We've seen hundreds of them. What we haven't seen is the kind of thing that happened next. A lot of people then, they take the mic in their hand, track comes on, and they do their thing. Not Stefan. He sat down at a piano, which is unusual for The X Factor. He sat down at the piano, and he did this. artist who does covers will tell you that taking a song like Tiny Dancer uh, and doing it that way is is so difficult. It's a difficult song to sing because Elton John just made such a classic out of it and it's had a resurgence in popularity in the last number of years. It's a difficult song to sing. Stefan, you blew it out of the water, man. Good morning. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you. Good morning. How are you? Delighted to have you on the opinion line with us. Now, I was interested in your story, and we'll get into it in a little while. But that's mm-hmm. that. That was one of the most remarkable things I've ever seen on a television music show. Where did you learn to sing like that? <laughs> Thank you. Um, I said that's quite a difficult question. Where did I learn to sing? I, I suppose I always was, you know, a singer and whatnot. I just didn't have the. Um, I didn't have the courage uh, when I was younger and so I kind of stuck to just playing instruments and whatnot. I started, I didn't actually start on the piano at all. I started on the violin and played with orchestras and I just kept the voice to myself. And it was only in latter years uh, when um, I suppose I was a budding teenager that I um, I, I started singing and uh, people were kind of saying, God, yeah, you, you can sing, I guess, you know, and uh then I, I went to vocal training and uh, it kind of progressed like that. But uh, I wasn't, you know, I trained with, with uh, you know, operatic training and, and singing for that and, and musicals and whatnot. Um, but my interest just still lied with, you know, my... Uh, my influences, you know, uh, uh, growing up and that, which would have been the likes of Elton, 
uh, The Boss, Bruce Springsteen, um, even Rod, Tina Turner, all of those oldies. Um, and so I, I, had, I just had more interest there. So I, I guess um, then, <clears throat> excuse me, covering songs like that uh, and singing songs like that was was just uh, something that I I had always done. You know, I think there's somewhere there's a home video. I swear to you, there's a home video of me. I must have been about five, I think, and or six. And I had attempted to dress up as Elton John and sit down at an old grand piano that we had in our house and sing uh, Benny and the Jets wow. and play. And I'd listened to it on an old LP. And those of you who haven't a clue what an LP is, it was a really big CD. So um, I listening to an old LP of, of Elton John and I would try and mimic it and play it on the piano without any training or anything. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of how I learned, really, yeah. yeah. And I, think, I think Elton himself would be impressed by, by that particular version of, of Tiny Dancer, Stefan. Um, now... <laughs> The story of how you ended up on the Romanian X Factor is all to do with the fact that you were born there and adopted from there. What do you want to tell us about that? Yeah. Um, So, yeah, very true. I was born there and I was born there in 1990. And that was, of course, as as common knowledge would go around the time of Ceausescu, well, the end of his reign. And so the country was in very much so in disarray. And... um, Really, uh, along with you know, along with myself and many other, many other babies and many other children, you know, it was a situation that they were they were uh, put up for adoption or they were you know in in a in a very bad case. So uh, that was me as one of them, and I was I was put up for adoption, and uh, my my incredible mother. Catherine over here in Ireland, she came over and adopted me, mm-hmm. um, which would have been a very difficult situation back then, you know. Um, <clears throat> and so, yeah, she came over and she adopted me and brought me back here to to uh, to Ireland, to Gorey, of all, in County Wexford. And um, there she, uh, there I kind of grew up in Gorey mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, had a as I said there, you kind of heard it on the mm. on that little snippet that you played. It you had a good childhood, and and you know, I mean, look, uh, I did have a good childhood because yeah. I mean, here's the thing: if you liken it to, let's say, a childhood that you you could have had over there in 1990, yes. I mean, come no, on, no comparison, know? no comparison, no, and, wouldn't and have been a comparison. You always knew, I think, because she always told you that you, that you were adopted. At, at what point? Stefan, did you think, okay, I, I'd like to find out more now? Um, well, I always wanted to know. So the want was always there and the inquisitivity was always there. But the thing was, is that I guess every time I, I attempted to come up with some sort of gusto to revisit there, I didn't. Uh, you know, I shied away from it, and I just realised that no, I'm. I don't think I'm ready. I either got incredibly angry, or you know, um, emotional, or or you know, I. It just it, it wasn't. It didn't seem like the right time, so therefore I didn't do it. Mm-hmm. And I think then you know when X Factor came along, that was that was really 
that was a big thing. And, and you know, that was, <laughs> I suppose that was kind of the sign. Which, well, yeah, the, 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 the sequence I may have <clears throat> wrong in my mind. Where you, did you go over for the X Factor with a view to doing your trace? Or did you do your trace and go over to the X Factor as a result? Which came first, the trace or the X Factor? Okay, so, so what came first was finding my my birth parents that came first mm. um so uh i um yes yeah I, it was this lady that was helping people to find their birth parents mm. and find their you know their, their blood relatives and um i contacted her and she found them for me and that was thanks really that was thanks to my fiance samantha mm-hmm. who who kind of me towards doing is, is that. that somebody here, Stefan, or somebody over there? Because I would know a lot of search agents that work here. Would it be somebody here? Somewhere here, yeah. Elena, Elena is her name. Okay. And yeah, so that's that's someone here, and um, she helped a lot. She has she has a Facebook uh, page as such, and uh, the Never Forgotten Romanian Children, and. Um, she she helped a lot, you know, with with that. So um, she found them essentially, and then I was on Zoom call, and I was, you know, with them and uh, and reconnected with them, you know. How did that so, go? Uh, well, look, I mean, <laughs> I guess, yeah, it was thirty years, you know, thirty mm. years of waiting, and um, after thirty years, you know, of and then finally in the one day. Of getting to to see them, and then to realize that I not only, you know, uh, had them that they were alive, but to then find out as well that I had uh, three brothers and two sisters, mm. you know, was was even more impactive. Mm. And so it was incredible. Of course, it was incredible. And <laughs> excuse me, and a very down uh, down to earth experience, you know. Yeah, yeah. Have you Pretty have you actually well. met them in 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 the flesh yet? I haven't, no, 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 I haven't. I plan to. Yes, I do plan to. Good. Um, and soon, yeah. Now, I know you're probably not allowed to tell us anything other than the fact that you did make boot camp. Um, when will we yeah. know more? When are we allowed to know more? So, the, the deal really is um, is that you'll be allowed to know more when more happens. Yeah. Uh, you know, so, um, I mean... Look, I was the first of the entire season to get four yeses, which was incredibly humbling. And I couldn't believe it myself, really. Uh, so therefore, I was straight through to boot camp. So um, you'll get to know more then. You know, w- w- once I, know, I go I back know. over, which is very soon, okay. then you'll get to know. Can I ask you something else as well, young man? I want to see the rest yeah. of the show and I want to see it in Cork because I want to hear more than just Tiny Dancer. You're now an X Factor boot camper. Time to start touring. Yeah, I am. <laughs> um, when are we going to gig in Cork? Well, I I will come to Cork. Yes, um, if the invitation is there, mm. um, then I'll come back. I'll come down to Cork. For right, you. I'll tell you um, what you do then. Right, win, 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 lose or draw in the X Factor, as it were. And I have a good feeling about <laughs> you. Win, lose or draw in the X Factor. When we're allowed to do it, and it's a little while away just yet, but when we're allowed to do mm-hmm. it, I'd like you to sing in this studio. Absolutely, that would be. Yeah, my honour. Yes, of course. Right. Stefan, wonderful to speak with you on the, on the opinion line and uh, good luck with the boot camp and good luck with, the, with your future and good luck with meeting 
your family in Romania. Thank you very much. Cheers. Take care. That's uh, Stephen Doyle. Remember this voice because you will be hearing it again. Opinion line on Corks 96 FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Corks Gold Imro Award winning sports show. Right, right here, right then. The score on Corks 96 FM. Join me, Trevor Welsh, Sundays from 2 for the best music mix and all the latest sport as we focus on a big weekend of Gaelic Games action and reaction to Cove Rambler's clash with Bray and Cork City's visit to Treaty United. Right here, right there. Join Trevor Welsh for the score this Sunday from 2 p.m. with Firebird Heating Solutions. If you're building, think of the Firebird Air Source Heat Pump with underfloor heating and heat recovery. See firebird.ie. Right here, right there. On Cork's 96 FM. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083 396 96 96. On Cork's 96 FM. Yeah, that's a young man we'll catch up with again on The Opinion Line, Stefan Doyle. If you want to hear some more of his stuff, he's got some of his own songs on Spotify. If you just search for Stefan, that's S-T-E-F-A-N-J Doyle. Stefan J. Doyle. There's a few of his own songs are to be found on Spotify. 1850-715-996. Earlier this morning, we went over that Instagram research. Uh, it was in the, in the Wall Street Journal uh, about the effect of Instagram on depression in young teenage girls in particular. And we move on now to just children and, and social media in general, uh, there's a webinar coming up on uh, parenting in a, in a social media world or in an online world. But I wanted to talk about it with Dr. Mary O'Kane, who is a parenting consultant and a psychologist. We were talk- she was listening to Mary McGill on the show earlier on, and she agrees with what, what Mary was saying about the dangers of the online world. Uh, um, Mary, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. Lovely to chat to you again. Yes, I was listening to your conversation with Mary earlier. um, And I have to say that it's because that research has really only recently come out. And it's something an awful lot of us have suspected for a long time. I mean, all technology is not created equal. There's some wonderful technology out there. But Instagram in particular um, is one that is, I think it's difficult for an adult. I know I look at parenting stuff on Instagram and I feel insecure when I look at it Mm. that it's no wonder that our our teens struggle with it. What's interesting is that this is Facebook's own research, like the owners of it have done their own research. It's not not even independent. You'd hate to see what an independent report would, would come up with. I know, and I think they've been slightly sitting on this research for a little while, and um, and probably a lot of people have have suspected this. It's funny, and I, I mean, I, we really ha- always have to keep coming back to the fact that you know, not all technology is created equal. I mean, this is not everything, but in all honesty, PJ, when you look at something like that, I suppose it makes us realise as parents we need to educate ourselves. You know, we we need to um, understand what they're doing online, and um, and I mean. It 
you look at how long our children are spending online, even the little ones now. And it's funny, before this, back in about 2019, there was a study, now it's not Irish, it was um, UK study, Common Sense Media is the name of the people who, who produce this research. But they did this research into how long our children are spending online. Mm-hmm. And they found younger children were spending on average five hours a day on screens with teenagers seven and a half hours. Now, PJ, they're in school Monday to Friday. How they are spending that long online, it's frightening. Now, is that online, that's seven and a half hours or whatever, is that online doing school-related work? Is it online watching television or is it online in and out of social media? It includes everything. So it includes on social media, maybe texting on their phones and um, it's everything but it's a long time a day PJ. Yeah, that mm. is scary. One of the figures they come up with, which I find really shocking, I always mention this in my webinars, they found that for teenagers if they looked at social media phones and TV, teenagers your average teen consumes more than 10,000 messages a day by all those platforms. So it's a wonder it's influencing them. And those those teenagers who are spending an awful lot of time on Instagram, um, I can see how that would cause depression and anxiety because, as Mary explained earlier perfectly, you know, they're looking at all these unrealistic images and feeling that they have to live up to them. Yeah. In terms of the, the online world, do you know, it, it, they're growing up with it. So... Yeah. What you'll always hear is the argument as well, you, you know, and this is anyone over 30, you're an old person. What would you know? Yeah. That's our I life. Know. That's our world. I was born with a phone clapped to my hand. It's normal. <laughs> Go away, you old person. You don't understand. I know. And, you know, there is a, a tiny bit of truth in that, PJ, in that they their phones are very meaningful to them. And particularly as they get to the teenagers, I suppose we have to say that, accept that. But what I would say to parents is, first of all, educate yourself. You really know what your child is doing online. But I always say to parents, the younger you start, the better in coming up with rules and boundaries. Because by the time they're teenagers, I mean, their their, um, brain is functioning. They they absolutely run from the emotional brain. They're not good at self-regulation. They're not good at thinking, oh, now this might be bad for me. I should turn off my phone now. So we look at when they're younger and really from when your child is getting a phone, sit and really think about, okay, what's important to me? What are my rules? Like, what are my non-negotiables, if you like? So maybe you might say, okay, it's really important to me we have an agreed time. They have to turn off the technology. And it might not be a phone, it might be an iPad, whatever. But they have to turn it off at a certain time of the evening. Maybe no phones at the dinner table. Maybe um, the family computer has to be in an open space, like no phones in their bedroom, if you like. So you, you kind of nearly, I say to parents, come up with your rules. But instead of then just demanding they blindly follow them, talk to them. Communication. I've said this to you before, PJ. Communication and connection in parenting is so important. So I really recommend families sit around the table and they have those conversations about the good stuff that's online. I mean, you look at maybe your child might be looking at YouTube tutorials, teaching himself guitar. I mean, that's yes. brilliant. You know what I mean? Yes. Like there's some really, really great stuff. They might be using stuff for school. I mean, I know with my own kids, they come in and they ask me something and I'm saying, well, Google it. I don't know the answer yeah. to that. You yeah. know, there's great and, stuff. And that's where it, it becomes hard to hit the medium 
medium, isn't it, Mary? That's where, where it becomes very difficult to hit that medium. But then again, I guess it's our job as parents to work harder to understand where that medium is. In terms of giving devices to children, and the reason I'll bring this one up is at the moment, as you know, we're having a whole lot of rescheduled communions and confirmations. Is yep, there yep. an age before it which is just not acceptable to be handing a child, say, an iPhone? Oh, you know, this is a really difficult one, PJ. And I have to say one thing, different children are slightly mature at different ages. What what we say in psychology is, first of all, for under twos, and I'm not saying you'd give them a phone, obviously, but we we should aim for no screen time for under twos. There's research showing language delays, okay? So when they get older and when they're even maybe four and five, what we say is, obviously, you're not giving them technology, but you might sit a bit like you would have done with TV back in the day, probably yourself and myself would have done. You watch you know, Sesame Street with your child. Well, this is the same. You might be watching something with the child and you're looking for something educational. As they get older and older, they will be using maybe your iPad for little things. And, and sometimes it's for school. They might be doing a little bit of research on a mm. project or something. Um, but the social media sites are only supposed to have users 13 and over, okay? So they were all designed for 13-year-olds up. However, we know that the children are actually going on, on yeah. sites way younger. I mean, we're very aware of that. There's research that shows, and this was Irish actually, and it was looking at 8 to 15-year-olds, and it was 90-something percent. I think it was like 97, 98% of them had their own access to social media, whether it was a phone or an iPad. So they're on it a lot younger. I usually say to parents, avoid actually giving them, if you're giving them access to the likes of an iPhone, you're giving them access to everything on the internet. So educate yourself about parental controls and things. You don't just hand over this device without really thinking about what you are allowing them access to. So, so really keep that in mind and then educate yourself and make your decision because it is a personal decision for parents, but make your decision based on that information. Do I really understand parental yeah. controls? What do they have access to? Because I think we, we, we need to kind of come back to that every so often, that safety. And don't be afraid to be a parent first, a friend after. Oh, PJ, exactly. That is so true. I mean, we in when we're talking about kids online, we talk about the three C's and it's inappropriate contact and that's who they might be dealing with from their lo- online. And it's really important that parents are aware of this and they have the difficult conversations with kids. Inappropriate content. So that's the material that they might have access to online. Funny PJ, we always say to parents, you keep saying to your children, no matter if there's anything that makes you uncomfortable, tell me, you'll tell me, do always come to me. PJ, research with kids, the children say, well, they always tell me to, but no, they would take my phone away. So always make sure you say to a child, I will not remove your technology, but you must tell me. And then the final C is conduct. And that's their own conduct. And we forget about that one. You know, sometimes we tell them, okay, contact with people, content. But it's really important we have conversations about their personal responsibility if you wouldn't say it face to face I, I get my kids to use the granny test 
if you would not say that in front of your granny, you do not say that online. You know? But but it's the conversations, you know that, PJ? Yeah. It's so important that we, we sit with them. them and have them. Yeah. And not once, on an ongoing basis. Yeah. There was a man called Simon Sinek, of whom you may or may not have heard, and a number of years ago he did some videos on social media, of course, ironically, where he was talking about <laughs> it being an addiction. And and even yeah. addiction experts now say, yes, there there is an addictive element to it. Should we watch our children to make sure they're not becoming addicted? Oh, definitely, PJ. And I, I talk about in this webinar, it's next Wednesday, I talk mm. about what we call mindful usage and unplugging them. Because unplugging them is important. What we call unplugged time. Now, your child won't particularly want unplugged time, but unplugged time is making sure that you have all this other family time going on. Making It's balance. It's having balance in their lives and because they really can become addicted. Say, even if you think of maybe, um, if you look at sort of computer gaming or whatever, I mean, there's a real danger there that if we don't um, have an awareness of how long they're spending online that they can become addicted I mean their brains are releasing dopamine they're thinking this is absolutely wonderful but can I say one thing PJ when we're talking about addiction we need to look at ourselves because very often we forget ourselves and we're sitting on the phone telling them to get off the phone and that's so important we we need to learn to practice what we preach yeah, yeah. we spend an awful lot of time online pj the, the, and then we tell them not to the, the so screen to time as well. the screen time counter on your phone when it pops up your weekly report you i didn't really did i i didn't spend right, exactly oh, God, you do, you do, you do. <laughs> when is the webinar how can people get involved the it's webinar, online it, it's online. It's next Wednesday night. If they have a look at my social media, Dr. Mary O'Kane, I'm on Facebook and Instagram. The information is up there. It's by a company called Cannabis Burn. They find the information online and, and they can they can book into that. It's next Wednesday night. Okay. One last one here. Uh, someone has just yeah. asked on the phone, what do you think that of the situation where, the, where China already are ha- having to set up, and the UK, having treatment programs already for kids addicted to online activity? Oh my gosh, you know, I saw that the other day and I saw that China was talking about um, actually stopping you know, access to the internet at certain hours for children that they, you know, it's nearly like turned off because they were worried about parental control. I think it highlights to us, PJ, that this is a really growing problem and educating ourselves, really stopping to think about, do you know what I think as parents, remember you were saying in the beginning, the kids think, oh, I know everything. We talk about them being digital natives and us not having a clue it's education. We need to sit and have those conversations because I'll tell you, PJ, prevention is a lot easier. When they're absolutely addicted to phones, when they're on them right through till four in the morning, it's very hard to get them off. If we can get in earlier, we're much better off. All right, listen, Mary, we'll talk again on the opinion line. Thanks for being with us. That's Dr. Mary O'Kane, parenting consultant and psychologist, and that webinar is next week. Go on to her social media. <laughs> Ironically, without, go on to her social media. You'll find all the details there. It's a two-hour uh, webinar, and it's on next week. 1850-715-996. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. CMIG.ie. 
Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. Guarantee your place at Ed Sheeran at Parky Cueve next year. Win tickets before anyone else can buy them. I'll tell you how on today's show. I'll see you from 12 on Cork's 96FM. Cork 96FM's local hero, hero talent search uh, has been launched in association with Hot Press. If you're a band or a hip-hop actor, a rapper, DJ, singer, songwriter, what if you think you can do what Stephen Doyle did? Uh, let us know, because you could end up being featured live on Cork's 96 FM. Are you the next Shane Codd, the next Lyra, the next picture this? Then we want to hear from you, because uh, the month of October is Irish Music Month on independent radio across the country, and we're looking for your demos right here, right now. MP3 to irishmusic at 96fm.ie irishmusic at 96fm.ie They don't necessarily have to be recording studio standard once they're acceptable once we can see how good you are once we can get a good assessment of how good you are send them to irishmusic at 96fm.ie The overall prize fund is €5,000 you'll get your record released and have your music played on 25 independent radio stations across the country It's Irish Music Month proudly supported by Cork's 96FM and Hot Press with IBI and the BAI Sound and Vision Fund Something coming up on tomorrow's Program, you'll know that we've talked a number of times with Una Ring. In fact, after the her court case came to an end earlier this year, uh, it, it was here she gave her first radio interview uh, to the Opinion on Cork's ninety six FM, and we've talked to her a number of times since she was a victim of stalking and her stalker was jailed earlier this year. Uh, the non-fatal offences against the person stalking bill is being debated in the Shannon today. And Una has helped to draft that legislation. And we'll be talking to her again on the show tomorrow. 1850-715-996. If I mention book titles, Distress Signals, The Liar's Girl, Rewind, The Nothing Man. Who am I talking about? I'm talking about, I'd have to say, one of my favourite Irish writers of all time, and she's got that way in the space of four or five years. She's she's from Cork, based in, in Dublin. Her fifth book, 56 Days, uh, is currently storming the book charts. Um, I speak, of course, of Catherine Ryan Howard. All I can say, Catherine Ryan Howard, is you've done it again. Thank you so much. <laughs> Ever since I spoke to you about your first book, uh, Distress Signals, back in, in 2016, you've, you've turned out pretty much a, a book a year. Uh, the Nothing Man was one that I stayed up until four o'clock on a work night finishing. And, and, and this is the same 56 days. Where do you get the ideas from? Usually my ideas come from something in real life, like nearly every book was something I read in an article or something I heard. Uh, With this one, 56 days, no prizes for guessing where the idea came from. I was in lockdown myself in Dublin in March 2020, like the rest of us. And I had for years had this vague idea about a couple who would meet and fall in love, but nothing would be as it seems but I had no plot to go with it and I was writing a different book back in March 2020 but suddenly that was like science fiction people were in nightclubs and traveling internationally so I set it aside and then I heard the UK's deputy chief medical officer 
advise new couples to either move in together or break up in order to adhere by the rules of lockdown. And there was just a little ding at the back of my head. And I thought, that's it. This couple are going to meet shortly before lockdown and lockdown together. And that's where the idea came from. It's really difficult to talk about this novel without giving anything away, but it does say on the back of the book that she saw it as a way to avoid the scrutiny of family and friends, but he sees it as a way to hide who and what he really is. And the novel opens with the discovery on the 1st of May, 2020, of a dead body in the apartment that the couple shared. And so we know it wasn't happily ever after. You do tend to do that, don't you? You always start with the shocker and one, and work back how you get to it. I find that is really useful as a writer because you can kind of borrow some of the drama from the end of the book. And I love that juxtaposition of showing the reader this absolutely terrible outcome and then flashing back to what is really a lovely scene where these two people meet and everything is happy and sparks flying. You think this is going to be wonderful. And then the, you know, what I hope the reader is asking is what went so wrong in the span of 56 days and to get that answer, they have to keep reading. Another thing you do, and you've been doing to us since Distress Signal, is leading us down fake tracks. You're <laughs> annoyingly good at that. Well, red herrings, we call them in the in the industry. The thing is that, you know, you can't... I think it was Lee Child who said the definition of suspense is asking a question and withholding the answer. And... You have to do that, but you can't just have one answer. So I want readers' minds to be kind of, you know, trying to figure out themselves what's going on. I think just talking to readers and reading reviews and things like that, most people who read this book will think they know what is going on and will guess a specific thing. And then when they get to the end, they will find out that they were not correct. So there is something I want you to think, but it is not the truth. I've said it to you before and I'll say it to you again. That's one of the methods employed by my favourite writer of all, who's Harlan Coben. One of my favourites too. He can keep you for 50, 100 pages and you go, ah, for the good, I never saw that. And it was written down in black and white when it's explained to you. And again, you you do that. Exciting times, Catherine. Writing in lockdown, was that different? It wasn't at all. It was actually great because there was much fewer interruptions. I think as a writer, you know, I was very lucky. I had been working from home for years anyway. Mm. Um, My, you know, job was secure. I still had to deliver a book. I was under contract. So really, I just had more time to do it. I think a lot of writers experienced a sort of, you know, drawing up of their creativity because they felt that, you know, not meeting people and not sitting in cafes, eavesdropping and not going places, you know, the well wasn't being Hmm. filled up. But for me, I had always worked this way. My ideas always came from like exterior places and not my own experience. So I was just delighted that I could write uninterrupted, really. Where do stories come from? What I mean by that is a journalist has a thousand words to write and, and finds the story of the day and writes it and it's over. When does a story become a book? Is, is, does, do you know when the idea comes into your head, this is a book? I would say I know when there's enough of it to make a book. Mm. Like you can make it, depending on your approach, you can make any story 
you know, 10 words long or 100,000 words, which, which is what we need for a novel. Um, that's how I always know I think that it is going to work as a novel because it's generating in my head all sorts of scenes and all sorts of twists and turns. And I know that I have enough to tell this story over the length of the book. Like, I really don't know where they come from. I think it's a really interesting question. I remember doing a workshop down in Bantry uh, before COVID, uh, obviously. And one of the participants, I was explaining, you know, the story starts with an inciting incident and then, you know, the hero decides what they're going to do about it. And she was like, yeah, 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 I get all that. But how do you actually make something up to link the inciting incident to the hero's decision? And I was like, I don't know, like, that's the bit that we can't explain. That's the bit that comes from, you know, the ether or wherever. Mm. And keeping it credible too is a, is another skill, as in stories in themselves can be a bit wild. But as you're reading the book, you have to be able to see real people in your mind. You have to be able to visualize places and things. And if you're describing a scene, one has to be able to make that picture in one's mind. Yeah, for me, it's incredibly important that people think the books are realistic, um, especially in crime. Things can get OTT very quickly. You can end up with sort of theatrical serial killers who do all sorts of things. And I think that's just not as frightening as something that we believe could really happen to us in our own lives. So mm. I always aim for readers to think, oh, you know, this probably won't happen to me, but it could. I believe that it would. Yeah, yeah. And you don't want anyone saying a third of the way through any book going, ah, this is crazy, this is far-fetched. You want them sitting back at the end of a chapter, closing the book for the evening to go, do you know what? That could happen. Yeah, and it's really funny because um, this book came out in America as well at the same time. And a lot of American readers have said, there's no way you'd move in with someone after only three weeks. But sure, I know lots of people here who faced with the lockdown, yeah. you know, did move in with people very quickly. So there's also the question of what's realistic to one person mm. versus what's realistic to another. But I do strive for realism. Yeah. Plus, Catherine, you know, lockdown or not, COVID or not. We all know people in our lives who got into a very solid relationship in, in weeks, months. Yeah, I think you have to allow for the fact that other people have different lived experiences than you do. But Amazon reviewers aren't always that empathetic. <laughs> <laughs> so talk to me about other stuff, because Distress Signals, as I said, was the first. But The Nothing Man, I know you can't tell me, but there's exciting news about The Nothing Man. I can't tell you anything except that there's exciting news about The Nothing Man I can't tell you. Right. And where were we on Rewind? There was a possibility. Of, was it telly or a movie? television optioned by Clerkenwell Films in London that is still you know ticking over ticking away the thing with being optioned is like I describe it as having a ticket for the lotto like your chances are better than someone who doesn't have a ticket but your chances of winning are, are pretty much on a par so I'd love to see something of mine on screen eventually but you know that's not why I do it like mm. I never think about that when I'm writing the book for mm. me the book is the, the thing the book. when you sat down a few years ago Catherine and made that big decision I'm going to write full time did you ever dream that you'd be having another number one novel 
I didn't dream specifically about having another number one, but I always had big dreams and I always, I don't know where it came from, but I always believed that I would be able to write full time and that that would be my career. Um, Then when I got published, I realized how difficult it is just to stay published and just to get your book at the front of the shop and, you know, to get all these things. So I'm incredibly grateful. I didn't have huge success, like straight out of the gate. And I'm, I love that because it means now I'm so deeply appreciative of everything that happens. And I couldn't believe the 56 days went to number one. And then to find out this week, it's still there. Mm. Obviously I will be knocked off by Sally Rooney and that's totally fine happy to be knocked off by her um but it has been amazing the reaction to this book really has been amazing and I would thank everyone who has Mm. bought a copy of it and also Catherine following your fans on social media when we know a book is coming there's excitement there like to to a writer to know that people are excited about your next book how does that feel It feels amazing. And I have to say, this is the first time I really felt that. I really felt that when this book came out, you know, a couple of weeks ago or however many days it was now, it's all been a blur. I don't even know. But I really felt I got a feeling that people were waiting for it to come out and they were excited and they were hurrying out to buy it. Um, And indeed they did, judging by the sales figures. So that is just incredible for a writer. And, you know, I am really, really grateful to have it. Well, I predicted this back after I read Distress Signals in two days. I'm delighted for you, Catherine. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Thank you. She really is one of the finest writers we have in the country at the moment. And we have some super writers. And as I said in Spike Island on Friday night, some particularly brilliant female uh, crime writers. That's Catherine Reinhardt. That was recorded a while back, which is the so the chart details are out of date. But... Anyhow, uh, your caller and uh, your show and other shows are saying, and I'll put this in before we finish to see what you think. We might come back to it tomorrow. Your show and other shows are saying that working from home is more efficient. It now takes eight weeks to get a passport. You can't get a bill off TV companies. We've had a massive social experiment in working from home, and all we can see is delay, things not working. You should put this to some contributor on the topic It's always presented as a sunny thing. We're all workers, but we're all consumers too. And actually, this is a disaster. It's an angle on working from home. Happy to pursue it on another day, if if that's of interest to you. Also, I see CNN are reporting that Facebook is under fire now for holding on to all this information about Instagram, keeping it to itself, the information we were discussing earlier. There you are. We're ahead of the game again on the opinion line. That's it. The programme edited by Fiona Corcoran, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. See you tomorrow, just after nine. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.